You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. So last week, we continued this Becoming Winsome series, and we jumped into the deep end. We talked about confronting idols. And I think for some of you, if you invited someone last Sunday, you're like, is there any way, Pastor, that you could talk about money? Like, if you could just, rather than this idol thing, if you could talk about money, I would rather take that than, than that. Or maybe somewhere deep down in your, your mind, you were like, hey, you know, maybe you talk about the scary stuff, the Holy Spirit. Like, if you just talk about the Holy Spirit, normally when I invite someone, I, I don't want people to talk about those things, but anything but idols, right? Because these are the things that are in our heart that may or may not be there, that we're trying to either protect or get rid of, and they can just be heavy in our hearts. And so last week we talked about how when we are becoming winsome in this world, part of that journey is confronting idols. And I think historically, when I look at the church, that kind of raises up a battle cry in some way of like, yeah, let's confront everything that the world is doing wrong and let's tell them twice and then three times on Sunday. Like if we could just do that, that would be incredible. That's how we're going to confront the idols. That's how we're going to become winsome. That's how we're going to move the kingdom forward in this world. And what we actually kind of talked about was something that Jesus had mentioned when it come came to confronting our idols. Actually, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, hey, before you step out and talk about something else that's going on in someone else's life, have you considered your own life? He actually talks about the plank speck, right? Like, hey, before you go to your neighbor and say, hey, you've got a little eyelash or a speck in your eye, you need to actually take the plank of wood that is in your eye out that everyone can see but you. And so we get to confront these idols in our hearts. And so what, what are idols? What are those things? Uh, last week we talked about things of disproportional importance. Like these are the things that are so important to you that, that they're just more important than any other thing and any other, thing, any other opportunity that's going on in your life. Not only were they disproportional importance, these were things that bring like a false security. Like these are the things that you lean on instead of leaning on God. These are the things uh, that might get your resources more than God gets your resources. And if they've reached the final stage, they actually have a hold over your life. And you are actually in bondage to them. And so rather than them being a small G God in your life, they're actually Lord over your life. And you have no more control in your life. I was reading Exodus 20 this morning, and this was in the Ten Commandments. God said, hey, there are things that are going to be after your affections. Like these are the things that get your affections. That's what idolatry is. He also called it a rival. Like these are the things that are rivaling God in your heart. And so what happens is when we are wanting to become winsome, when we are wanting to be an evangelist, so to speak, or live in such a way where we take the gospel in the kingdom into the world, the first step in that is to get our hearts right, right? Like the first step, rather than addressing something that's going on in someone else's life, is to take a small break and a small pause and say, all right, God, what's, what's going on in my heart? Like what, what's happening in my heart? 
And then you might be thinking, okay, then I can go confront the idols of this world. But actually what we found in Exodus was that God does the confronting. Like one by one, God will confront the things in our hearts that are rivaling him and his heart for our lives. Like one by one, when we looked at the Egyptian plagues, we went one by one and we looked at these things that when you're reading your Bible, you're like, man, they didn't tell us this in Sunday school that this plague and this person and this God had the head of a frog or this was a cow God. And, you know, it felt very foreign to us. But actually what God was doing was confronting one by one the things that they worshiped and held highly. And so God was in his gracious mercy saying, hey, this is not better than me. There is a better way. And one by one, Egypt and its leadership said no. And we kind of talked about how in some ways this is what the pandemic sort of did, right? Like it was hard enough that it happened. And then what actually happened out of that is it allowed us to see the very things that we were living with and depending on that rivaled our hearts for God's affections and attention in our life. And so when we couldn't do anything, we lost our freedom. When we couldn't go anywhere and travel and do the things that we wanted to do in this life, it caused something in our hearts to boil over. And instead of repentance, what I found is that we lashed out at each other, right? And so God is graciously confronting the people of the world. And here's the beautiful thing that we get to do in this process, right? We don't get to go tomorrow and say, hey, you know, you're having a hard time. I told you so. Like I, t- I told you, I told, girl, I told you he was bad news. Like I told you. No, no, we get to be patient. We get to extend the patience that God has extended to us. Like how patient has God been with you in your life? The answer is a lot, just so we're all clear. And not only do you get to be patient, we get to remind them of the promises of God. When God is confronting the idols in our heart, he is preparing the soil for the gospel to take root. That's what's happening is when God is doing things in our lives, he's just tilling the soil and we get to plant the seed. How incredible is that? Like, hey, that financial hardship, man, that is really hard. I am so sorry that's happening in your life. But here's something that has helped me, and I wonder if it'll help you. And you remind them the promises of God. You remind them that those who are sons and daughters of God, God takes care of them. He provides for us. And so we get to speak the gospel truths and the truths of the scripture to them. This is for your good. And then lastly, we get to bring or be that peaceful presence in their life. Here's the deal. When it comes to God moving in other people's lives and they might not know it's God moving in their lives, you and I are the nap in their storm. Like when Jesus is taking the nap on the boat, like that's you and I. And what I find is that we can't be that peace for other people if we do not have the peace of Christ in our own hearts. And so we get to be that peaceful presence when God is confronting and encountering people and confronting their idols in their lives. And so what happens with confrontation, there's a next step that needs to happen. And this is actually where I want to go today is this can be hard and heavy, but we have to know that God is doing something. He is wanting to provide payoff. He's wanting to provide freedom. He's wanting to provide harvest for our lives and the lives of others if we'll take the next step. And so what I want us to do today is jump from 
confronting and having God confront the idols in our hearts to this next step of what God is talking about when he talks about crucifying those idols. This is what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what Paul's saying is like, hey, I've walked this road before. Like my idolatry was my religion. I thought that I could earn my way to God and I wanted to kill anyone else who thought that Jesus was the way to God. And so what God did is he knocked me on my can and he confronted me and he showed me all the ways that I was worshiping a false God. I was worshiping self-effort and he was graciously confronting me. And what he did was he crucified those parts of my life so that the old Paul could die and the new Paul could be raised up. And so what we know in scripture, what we see the pattern to be is that with crucifixion comes resurrection, right? Like anytime God is killing some things in our hearts and it feels like a little bit of a death in our soul, it's actually God preparing our lives for resurrection. And so what Paul is saying here is he's like, hey, this is step one. Step one, when he confronts, we join with the crucifying part. Or we can kick against the goads and we're like, God, you can't have this. And that leads to a long life of you walking in the wilderness. Or we can say with hands open, God, I just I want you to crucify the things in my life and my heart that are not of you so that you can resurrect you in me. So when we read 2 Corinthians 5, it says, therefore, we are this crucifixion has happened in our lives. And as a result, we have become a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And we can't do the new and step into the new unless we've crucified the old. And so this is what Paul's saying right here. He's like, hey, this is the next step. And so what I want to talk about today is the stuff that is left over after there's a crucifying that happens. Because what I find is the stuff that is left over is the new work that God wants to start. But before we can start with that new work, we actually have to step and do something else. And it's called consecration. You're like, okay, there's a lot of words that are happening here. First, there was crucifixion and then there was resurrection. Now there's consecration. Like, what are you talking about, Nick? Are you just trying to rhyme so I stay awake? No, I I got a point. Here's what's happening. And so consecration, what this happens, what this means and how it happens is that there are a person or a people that God is setting apart or setting aside for his work. And so when you're reading this in scripture, you will see that God will invite the people to consecrate themselves so that they can be ready to be used by God. And what happens in our lives on this side of the cross is that not our lives have already been consecrated in and through Christ Jesus. Unless you are running from God and you're not submitting to God and you're not following Jesus. But if you are following Jesus, our lives have been consecrated and now it's our job to consecrate the things that we desire and long for in our lives. Because what happens is, is that I think a lot of times when we step into this Christian walk in Christianity, we think that we have to die completely and then we're resurrected as a nun or a monk. Has anyone ever felt that way? 
Like it's all or nothing. Like I'm crucified and then all of a sudden I'm overseas in missions. And it's like, I, I don't want to do that. Like, I, I want to stay here. I want to live my life. I want to serve God. I want to do the things that he's called me to do. But if I say yes, does that mean that I'm a missionary in Iceland? Like, does that mean that that is the next practical step? Or does that mean that I say yes to God and now I have to go live and take a vow of silence and never talk to anyone? And some of you, you love to talk. And so this option is just not available for you in this moment. And so what we get to do is we get to consecrate the things that have been resurrected in our lives so that they can be used by God for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. And so when we see consecration happen, this is when Joshua's talking. He's talking to the people. They are about, I mean, we just sang about some of this. Like there is these moments in scripture where God parts the waters literally so people can walk on the dry land into freedom. And so Joshua is prepping the people for this moment. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And what I find in my life is that I want the amazing things without the consecration. Like I want to be used by God, but I don't want to set aside things to be used for God. And so he's saying, hey, that's great. I would love for you to enter into the kingdom. I would love for you to enter into the promises. I would love for you to enter in all that I have for your life. But I cannot work with you until I have all of your life. And so we get to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. So what on earth are we consecrating unto the Lord? What I find in my own life is that when I am fully submitted to God and when I'm trying to follow Jesus, when I'm trying to serve him, when I'm trying to advance his kingdom, when I'm trying to become winsome, and when I'm trying to submit everything unto God, there are still desires and longings in my heart, right? Do you ever experience that? You're like, hey, God, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm following you. I'm trusting you. But there's still some things that are going on in my heart that are there. And I'm wondering what happens with these things in my life. And what I found is that they can go either way. They can be the idols and the things that we live for, or they can be the exact things that God uses to bring people into his kingdom. So let me give you an example. Growing up, I was raised by a single mom. And so one of the things that marked me is we just didn't have a lot of money. And so when I got older and I was in my 20s, I was like, here's the deal. I've gone without and now I need to make a lot of money because I ain't going back. Like I've seen the old way and I don't want to go back that way. So I need to move forward in this new way. And so what happened was is that money became my pursuit rather than God. And so then God, through a bunch of crazy things, crucifies that desire. Then he resurrects that desire in a new way. And now I get to consecrate that desire and say, rather than earning money being my pursuit, now generosity is my pursuit. And so when it comes to us and the things in our life, there is this tipping point that happens that we need to be able to see how God is moving in our lives to use those things for his glory. I can give you another example. When I started this church and my job, I wanted to prove myself. Like I had a lot of people saying, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that, you'll never do this, you'll never do that. And so what that produced in me is me wanting to prove myself. 
Anytime you try to prove yourself, you want to be known by something or for something. And anytime you want to be known by something or for something, that becomes a part of your identity rather than finding your identity solely in Jesus. And so I wanted my identity to be my job. And I think sometimes this happens to us in our lives is our job, the thing we do, becomes our identity. And so what happened there is God crucified all of it. And how many of you know that crucifying is really, really hard? It's not a pleasant process. When you read the Gospels, it is hard. It is painful. It involves suffering. It involves a lot of things dying. But what happens is is when those things die, He resurrects something beautiful out of it. And so you're sitting in the beauty of God's resurrection power of something that was once an idol of my life. And so when we are able to consecrate our curiosities, all I'm saying is that there are longings and desires in your heart that God wants to use. But if we do not consecrate them, then we will be used by God or we will be used by the idols rather than being used by God. And so we have to take these things. We have to say, you know what? This has potential to go two ways. Either this is going to become my God or I can use this for God's kingdom. And so how do we know how to spot those curiosities in our lives? How do we know what these things are? How do we know what God wants to use in our life for his glory? And so I have a few questions that I want you to ask yourself. And again, this is not you speaking out loud. You don't need to answer these questions to me. These are the deep desires of your heart. And it's like, it's him. I'm meant for him. I don't know his name yet, but he looks handsome. That's, that's not what I'm asking for. Like, desires of your heart, that's incredible. And we can talk about those later, but we don't need to talk about them all together. All right. So the first question that we can ask ourselves is, what does our heart beat for? So this is the what. What does our heart beat for? So kind of how this works is that when Moses was about to set the people free, there was a moment that he had before that moment, and that was when he tried to set people free in his own power, and his own strength, and he actually ended up acting out in anger and murdering someone. And so there are these things, the what's in our life, that we can do the wrong way and be used in the wrong way for the wrong kingdom. But there are these beautiful what's that happen where God says, hey, I see that desire that you have to free people, and I want to use that. Like, I see that desire that you have for injustice ending, and I want to use that. And with Jesus, he did this to his people. He was still calling them in to following him, but they didn't stop doing the what among the people. And so what I mean by that is what job or profession pricks your heart? Like what are the things that you long to do for, do as a job or profession? So this is a desire or a dream that you have that is deep in your heart And it can be as simple as waking up and going somewhere Monday to Saturday, but also there is a desire in your heart to do this thing in this season. So what job or profession is still in your heart? And so this job can actually become the idol or it can become the thing that God uses for his kingdom. Maybe it's a dream. Is there something that God has put in your heart? Maybe it was in the past 
maybe is in the present, whatever it is. What's the dream that God's given you? I think a lot of times we feel like we have to crucify even the good dreams that God gives us. And he's like, hey, I don't, I, the, the, the club, I wanted you to leave the club behind. I wanted you to take up the dream. Like the dream is what I'm going to use. The club and, and the thing, like that's what you leave behind. And I think sometimes we confuse those things. I was just kidding. I don't know how many of you actually are in the club, but that's, everybody's like, did he, did he see me on Friday? I was, I was, I was not, I was, I was witnessing and I was handing out, I wasn't handing out my number. I was handing out pamphlets for Jesus. I didn't see anyone. Sorry. I got really serious there for a second. Crucify the things that are in your life that you know are not supposed to be in your life. But don't crucify the dream. What's the dream that God's put in your heart? And why have you buried it? Why have you not stepped out into the water? When I read that passage in Joshua, they had to actually step in the water before God parted the water. And you're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't do that plan. Like, I've got an insurance plan. I've got life insurance. I got all the insurance. I got casualty. I got disability. I got all the insurances. I don't step into any water until God parts the water. That's not how faith works. You step into the water and then God parts the water. So what's the dream that you're refusing to step into? What are you passionate about? What are the things that you just, they're just passions deep in you? I, I have a passion for a couple languages. I don't know what God's going to do with it, but I'm like, man, I, I really wish I could learn these languages and speak these languages and figure out how to love people through these languages. I, in, deep inside, I'm like, can I just do the Acts 2 model where I, like all of a sudden the spirit comes upon me and I just start speaking Spanish? Like, is that an option? Because in, in my kids in high school are like, is that an option for algebra as well? Like, can, can we just be baptized by the Holy Spirit and no algebra? I don't know. So what does your heart break for? Like, what are those curiosities in your life that you're just like, man, I, I wonder why I'm curious about this. Like some of you are curious about spreadsheets and there are so many people in your life that are like, why are you curious about spreadsheets? It's because God has got you curious about spreadsheets. And then the other side, they're curious about spreadsheets and they're, why are you curious about painting? Like, isn't that what we did in, fifth, uh, as in kindergarten as five-year-olds? We painted and now we move on in the world? No, no, no. God doesn't move on from the things that he's put inside of us. So what is, what is God put inside of you? What does your heart beat for? So then we get to ask the next question. This is a big one. Who does your heart break for? Right? So we move from the what to the who. So this was so cool in the ministry of Jesus. Like this is one of the things that blows my mind is that when Jesus invited the disciples into his, his life and to follow him, he said, hey, I, I want to make you fishers of men. Like, hey, before you were fishing for fish, but now I want you to turn your attention to people. And so this was the theme of, of Jesus' ministry. Throughout the New Testament, he would speak about these specific groups of people. He would go to specific people for specific reasons because he believed that God was calling to him, to, to go to them. Like, Jesus was never confused about the who, right? Like, he always knew who he was going to. Whenever they got to a town, 
he didn't do like me and go to the, like the best coffee shop and the nicest restaurant. He went to encounter the people, right? He's like, hey, there's a, a woman at the well. I got to go see her. Like, hey, there's this person over here that needs me. I've got to go see them. Like, this is the thing that astounds me about the Bible is that there was no like cell phone or social media where like someone hurting could just say, hey, kicking it at the fountain today. Anyone want to come heal me? Like that's that like Jesus knew, like he knew where the people were. Like he, his, his object was the people. And what I find in our lives is we are way more concerned about the what than we are the who, right? Like we didn't want to know what we're doing. We don't want to know who we're loving, right? Because that's, that's the hard part. So we have to consider the who. Who are you curious for? Who has your heart been truly crucified, consecrated, and resurrected for? Is it a certain age group? Maybe some of you are like, man, I just, this, this generation that's leaving the church, I just, I can't sleep at night. Like, I just, I, I'm for them. Or like, hey, it's, it's just this, these people in the midlife that are either going to choose the convertible or God. And, and I, and I want to I help them. I want to help them see that, that there possibly might be a way to do both, but in the end, like, choose God. Is it a group of people with certain hurts and wounds? Like, this is, this is what God does. He says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us so that, not that we just have healing, but so that we can comfort others. Like, your story and what you've gone through isn't meaningless. It's very meaningful. And what I find is that God wants to comfort us, comfort us in those moments and in those circumstances, not so we can one day just stand up and say, hey, I got a testimony. Yeah, that's incredible, but that testimony is meant to lead to you helping other people and bringing them out so they can have the testimony too. So are you, are you broken for people who have certain hurts or certain wounds? Is there a certain people that you just have a passion for? You're just like, man, when I think about this people group, I want them to know Jesus. When I think about this people group, I just want them to see that there is a better way. When I think about this people group, I just, I just want their eyes to be opened and that they can see Jesus and they can see what God is doing in the world and they can see all that is before them. Maybe it's somebody with a certain background. You're like, hey, listen, I did the corporate world grind and I, I did that for a long time. And now I, I just want people to not get lost in the grind. Like I want people to still show up and be faithful, but to know that there's something greater. Is it entrepreneurship? Like, yes, we're working, working remotely is great. That's awesome. We all see you in the coffee shop. Amen. Do your thing. But are you supposed to reach other entrepreneurs? Like here's the beautiful thing about God is if we really look at our lives and we really look at our story, we're able to see margin and generosity and grace. And then how we steward that margin, generosity and grace is up to us. God's not going to bully us into loving other people. How are you stewarding the margin in your life? How are you stewarding that grace? How are you stewarding the opportunities. If that's God's story for your life, how are you using that story for his glory? So who 
does your heart break for? Here's another one. Where has God placed you? Where has God placed you? Some of us, like we have no idea what directions are. We have no idea which way is north, south, east, or west. Some of us still get surprised that there is an ocean nearby and it is on the east and that's where the sun comes up and then it goes this way to the west and we just arrive. Like we just somehow magically make it to church. And it's like, I'm here. I don't know how I got here, but I'm here. And then there's other, others of us that are like, oh, I know location, direction, all the things. When I read scripture, I see a lot of location, direction, and physical place, right? Like God immediately starts talking about the promised land. It wasn't just some weird state of being in nirvana. It was like, hey, I'm putting your feet on the ground in the land with milk and honey. Like I'm taking you there. Anytime there was an exile for God's people, so anytime God wanted his people to turn and put their eyes back on him, he took them out of the land. He said, I'm taking you to exile. I'm taking you away from the land of milk and honey. When you read the ministry of Jesus, like Jesus' ministry was marked by specific towns and locations and regions. Like people would go around towns and he would go through them, right? Like he just cared so much about regions and cities and villages. This was intentional. When the resurrected Jesus is leaving and when God is making his plans clear, he doesn't just go say, hey, reach somebody. He says, you're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And so when I read the scriptures, I see that geography and cities were so important. What on earth was Paul doing? Like Paul was like shipwrecking his life, both literally and spiritually, just to get to Rome. And granted, he probably, the pizza and the pasta, all that was probably incredible. But he wanted to stand before Caesar and present the gospel, right? Like he was obsessed with Rome. And so when I look at our lives, do we wake up and see where God has placed us? Like, why are you where you are? Why are you living where you are? Why are you doing the things that you're doing and curious about the things that you're curious about in a certain place? I'll meet people all the time. Like anytime they have to come into downtown, it's like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. And it's like, okay, great. Just check one place off your list of places you'll never live. That's great. That's awesome. Me, I'm like, don't take me off the peninsula. Like, just keep me here, Lord. Like, just, just right here. And that's just how God has curiously wired me. You're like Mount Pleasant. Like, I just, if Costco and Target can be as close as possible, like, God wants to use that. And husbands, hold on. Don't disagree with me. Like, God can use Target to reach people for Jesus. Trust me. Everybody's like, no, we can't. Satan is target. He's of, of the devil. What color is their logo? It is red. It is the mark of the beast. So have you ever thought about the places that you desire to live and why you want to live there? Like, it's not by accident. It's on purpose. Like, God gives us desires. And he's just like, hey, wake up. Like, you love this area. 
Like, hey, wake up, DI. Like, you love DI. Like, hey, wake up. You love Park Circle. You love Somerville. You love Monk's Corner. You, you love this place. So, so why are you there? Why have you been placed there? Why are you living on the island? Why are you there? God is so strategic about location. So have you ever thought about why you are living where you're living and why you have a curiosity to live there? Like God wants to put us in a specific place to be used for his glory. Like you had to go to college somewhere. Uh, for me, it was like I had one choice. Like it was that was they, they I didn't pick them. They picked me. And that was that was the only place I could get into. So that's where I was going. And the city was Columbia. But I was like, all right, Lord, here I am. Even you can exist in Columbia. Like it's just <laughs> how it works. It's the armpit of South Carolina. But this is what said yes to me. And like jobs are jobs, but have you ever thought about why God, this job said yes, or this opportunity came about, or this situation happened? It's not because you're cute and incredible and have everything together. Like, God is doing something in your life. Where has God placed you? Here's a big one. Are you ready? What do you love to do for fun? Right? Like, how incredible is it that God gives us the desires of our hearts when we delight in Him and there's these things that we do for fun? And oh, by the way, we get to use them for the kingdom. What do you love to do? There will be hard conversations that you have, there will be hard things that come up, there will be hard people. But how crazy is it that God allows us to reach people, love people, serve people through fun? Isn't that incredible? What do you love to do? What are your hobbies? I listen, I I joke. I, I I kid. Like I kid a lot, I joke a lot. I come after certain things, but not because I'm after certain things. It just happens in the moment. I apologize. I'm repenting. And now I'm coming to you with this list. Is it golf? (laughs) Is it sports? Like, guys, like we're we're not going pro anymore. So how does God (laughs) want to use the sport that we love? It's, it's, it's not to provide for your family. Like, it's just, just take that off the table. Like, let's move past this. Like, have you ever thought about why you still love that sport? It's not because you think at age 50 you can still run out on the field. No, that's not, that's not it. You can come up for prayer later. We'll cast that demon out of you. But how, how would God want to use that? Is it the beach? I hear just thought about the beach and how you love the beach and you love to surf and you love to do these things at the beach. Is it food? You just love food. You love community. You love the table. Like you could sit and talk to someone for hours at the table. An hour in, I'm like, I got to get up. I got to stretch my legs. Like I got to do some calisthenics. Like I get the body moving. I don't care how comfortable the chair is. Like I just need to be up. I need to move. You're like, oh, we're just getting started. Like, this is the four-hour conversation that I've been created to have in my life. Is it a love of music and concerts? I am the old man who goes to the concert and, like, wants to know where I can sit down. Like, this is, like, I've reached the point in my life where I have to ask the question, 
is this a standing concert or a sitting concert? Because if it's a standing concert, I'm out. Like I just, I know my place in this world and it is not standing for four hours getting my eardrums blown out. I think a lot of times we have convinced ourselves that Christianity is supposed to be boring, but in actuality, God is creating abundant community, and out of that community, He is raising up an abundant people who have an abundant peace in their life. Like, no one wants to love Jesus if Jesus looks like being Eeyore all day, right? Does anybody know who Eeyore is, the donkey on Winnie the Pooh? It's like, how, how is it, Eeyore? It's good. I love God. I believe in the cross, but it's okay. No, like that's, that's not the thing that's going to bring people to confront their idols and crucify them and be resurrected from them and then consecrate them and be used by God to reach the nations. Like God is doing something. All right, so how do we use these things to reach people? Just a few things quickly. Keep the first important and the most importance of first importance. And here's what I mean by that, is I think a lot of times we get this, we're like, oh, I can take the car and I can take a few turns and then all of a second I'm going like 80 miles per hour. Sometimes in our lives, when we step out into this new freedom, we abuse the freedom. And so you have to keep the first important thing in your life, the first important thing in your life. So going back to the list, like surfing is not our God. The beach is not our God. Sports is not our God. All the things that we, people are not our God. Our job is not our God. He is our God and he wants to use those things for his glory. There is an order when it comes to walking with God. So we have to keep the important things of first importance. I mean, this is what re-idolatry is. It's like God delivers us from something, and we're like, just kidding, and you like jump back in the water, and, and you're jumping back into the idol. Invitation is the end game. Invitation is the end game. Again, it's so amazing that you get to go do the thing and be at the place and have the job and live the dream and all that. But at the end of that, there's an invitation that needs to happen. The first invitation is you being a part of their life and experiencing their soul and hearing about their heart. And so don't forget about that. You're not just there to take up space near them. Like you're there to be invited into their life. And then the other part of that is you are there to invite them into your life in your places of worship and how you encounter God and how you worship God in the kingdom. And so there's an invitation that needs to happen. And you might be thinking like, hey, you don't understand. I've got that job and they don't want me to talk about Christianity and they don't want me to make that invitation. Here's all I will say is do it carefully and do it wisely but also at the end of the day, sometimes there is a cost to being a believer in this country. And I think there are too many people fighting, thinking that we can just eliminate all the cost of living in this country and worshiping God, but that's not what the scripture says. Scripture says sometimes there is a cost and we count it as all joy. And so if we lose our job, we mourn that job. We, we are sad, but we move on. Say, hey, I've, God's got other things for me. This is the most important thing. And then lastly, keep your convictions and spiritual rhythms. So I have seen so many people jump out for the sake of Jesus, and they actually forget the very place that they were being sent out for, 
for and from. And so when it comes to our lives, we have to do the things that allow us to keep our spiritual disciplines and rhythms intact. If there is something that you're doing that is going to kill your worship or kill your love of God or kill your walking with God, especially among the community, it might not be for God. Jesus wants us to crucify a lot of things, but our relationship with him is not one of them. And so if there are things that you are doing in your life, you need to make sure that you can do the thing and still love Jesus, that you can do the thing and still be a part of God's people, that you can do the thing and still serve him in the ways that God has called you to serve you. How incredible is the grace of God that he would invite us into this process where he confronts our idols and then he allows us to crucify him and he says, hey, there's resurrection coming. But before there's resurrection, there's this consecration that needs to happen. I want you to set apart your life and I want you to set apart your desires and I want you to watch me resurrect them and multiply them. How amazing is that? Like the God of the universe knows everything, can do everything, and yet he still chooses to allow you to wake up each and every day with desires, dreams, goals, aspirations, hobbies, interest, all these things, and he wants to use them for his glory. But here's the question. Are you going to let him use those things for his glory, or are you going to use those things for your glory? Here's the deal with God. God can smell a covert idol. He can smell it. So if you're like, yeah, finances for God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And it's not, and your heart's not in it. He can smell it. That's what Acts 5 is about. If you don't know, you know. You go read. It's crazy, but God was showing them a whole new economy. And so when it comes to our lives, He knows when our heart's in it, and He knows when our heart is worshiping something else. We cannot trick God. But how incredible is it that God invites us in this process where He wants to use our curiosity to become winsome for the kingdom? Let me pray. Father, we just pray that you would just continue to give us the faith to step out and do the things that you've called us to do. Father, I just pray for uh, people in this room who are living in fear, that they're scared to step out and do the thing or make the thing for you. And God, I just, I just pray that in this worship that you would just provide a next step. Father, I, I pray that if, if last week was supposed to be the week where we killed an idol and we didn't, I just pray that we would make this the time. You are so gracious. You are so loving. You're not here tapping your foot, angry at us. You are always inviting. You are always asking us to come before you it stand boldly in the throne room of grace. And so, Father, I just pray that we would do that this morning. God, break our heart for who your heart breaks for. God, we just pray that you would show us new ways to do what we're doing. Father, we just want to be used by you. We just want to be used by you. Use our curiosities to be winsome for the kingdom. Father, we are so grateful for desire and longing. And now, we got, oh God, we just ask that it would be our leading this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. 
Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.